If you have your Bibles with you today, uh, we're going to continue in our study through Exodus 25. And Lord willing, we'll be able to finish chapter 25. And last week we took a little pause. You know, we ended in our a couple of weeks ago in Exodus 25 verse 22. That's where we ended our study and then last week we did a little study into um um the plunder of Egypt, you know. And I'm not I don't like topical sermons at all, topical studies. I really steer away from those. I haven't done in the last 3 or 4 years. However long it's been, there's only been like a little handful. And the reason why is because, you know, it's really easy to deviate from, you know, where, where the Spirit has us, where the Spirit is teaching us and moving us along the road. Um, it's very easy to deviate from that and get into, uh, you know, craziness, you know, and, and focus on topical sermons. And it's something that I really don't like doing, except last week. We did do a little sidestep, and I don't want to call it like so much as topical. Because it was to give greater illumination into where we're at in context of New Covenant believers. Because what can happen, and we talked about this a little bit last week, what can happen is that the enemy will take your desire for righteousness and he'll capitalize on it and say, you see, these things are written in the Old Testament. Why don't you do these things? You know, and... Instead of saying, instead of recognizing the voice of the enemy, a lot of people, they go back into the Hebrew roots movement. A lot of people, it's growing. And they say, okay, we want to perform the works of the law. But remember what Paul writes to the church in Rome, that in the law brings death. And in the book of Galatians, he writes to the church in Galatia, he says, you know, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And so we did a little sidestep to understand what's happening in terms of the plunder of Egypt. Remember, the Lord told Moses many, many, many moons ago. He said, Moses, you know, he, Moses at the bush, the burning bush. And he says, Moses, you're going you're gonna to go back to Egypt and you're going to take the plunder from them. <clears throat> I mean, how wild that must have been for Moses to hear those words. What are you talking about? How can that be? Do you know how powerful Egypt is? And so what happens, you know, certain periods of time happen where when Moses goes back to Egypt, Egypt is, is under um, uh, the plagues of the Lord. And it gets to the point where the plagues are so bad that finally the, the people, the Egyptians, they're like, get out of here, Israelis, get out of here, you Jewish people. We don't want you around anymore because you're here and all these plagues are befalling us. You know, my crops are gone. My firstborn is dead. We got all these frogs all over the place. I go to get a drink of water and it's just blood and I get out of here. Oh, by the way, take this gold, take this silver, take this cloth, take it all. I don't want it. And so the Lord tells Moses, hey, Take these materials and you're going to use them for, to, for the temple, for the uh, tabernacle. And that's what the Lord is giving Moses here in Exodus 25, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, or uh, uh, 30, 31. He's giving him the blueprints, the blueprints. And it's so sad because in a couple chapters, you're gonna, we're going to read about the account of the golden calf. But at the same time, it's... It's beautiful too, because what's happening here, the Lord, the Lord knows the golden calf event is going to happen. The heart of his people is going to turn into this golden calf or turn towards this golden calf. But yet even still, he's giving Moses these blueprints. And, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but it reminds me a lot about us, about you and me and how before, you know, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The love of the Lord was still there. That's why, you know, you read the account of Jesus Christ being beaten, you know, having his beard plucked. You know, they cover his face and then they punch him on the side. They say, hey, prophesy, who was that? They punch him on the other side. Hey, prophesy, who did that to you? And then you read the account and the mockery of Jesus Christ. And for me, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, I think about my own carnal nature. I think about my own sin. And it's like, wow, 
you know what? I put those nails in his hand. You know, and you know what? You put those nails in his hand too. And there Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't say, hey, you know, you know, you have to be like this. You have to be righteous and then I'll die for you. He didn't say that at all. He took you, he took me in our filth, in our muck, in our disgusting nature. And he says, no, I love you. It's incredible. It does, that word doesn't do it justice. It's so incredibly beautiful. And you know, that's the nature of our Lord, Old Testament and New Testament. A lot of people like to make the differentiation between Old Testament God and New Testament God. I don't do that. You know why? Because God is the same. He never changes. You read Malachi. I never change, says the Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's from Hebrews. He never changes. Culture is what changes. People create an image of God. Then you read the Bible. It's like, hey, you know what? That's, that's idolatry. Whatever you're saying, whatever you're spewing, that's not the God of the Bible. And it gets to the point after, you know, we're going to get there in, in, in Exodus uh, uh, after the, uh, 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 the golden calf. The people repent and then Moses starts to outlay, hey, this is what the Lord told me when I was on the mountain. And the people start giving their gold, their silver, all their material, the fabrics. And it gets to the point where Moses gives a command. He says, hey, you guys, no more. Stop giving because it's too much. And I think that's so cool. So cool. Because the people repent and they seek the Lord once again. And now they're serving him. If you remember in chapter 25, verse 2, he says, from everyone who gives it, willingly with his heart you shall take my offering it's not a command like hey you have to give uh 80 of your gold or hey you have to give 70 percent of your silver it's willing giving unto the lord remember paul also talks about this being a cheerful giver unto the lord our pastor in california he always used to say hey if you're stingy about tithing keep your money you know keep it don't even give it and I love that so much because sometimes people, you know, you go to like a big church and they have the offering plate and people are like stingy. They went in their wallet and they're like, oh, you know, here I got a 20, a 10 or oh, I'll give a $5 bill or I put a $1 bill. But they're like, oh, man, I could have I could have bought a candy bar with that dollar. And you always used to say, hey, if you're stingy about giving, if you don't want to give, if you don't have the cheerful nature in your heart, don't even give at all. Don't do it. And he didn't say it like in a mad way. He just said it like, hey, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And that's what happens in a couple chapters down the road. We're going to see the people just give unto the Lord. Give, give, give. And Moses is like, don't give anymore. No more. And I think it's so powerful because it shows the position of their hearts. The people of God. And it's beautiful. And they start to give and then he, the tabernacle is erected. It's built, you know, the mercy seat, the holy of holies, all these things. And, you know, like if you remember when he says in uh, verse 21 of chapter 25, he says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you. That's what the Lord desires, he desires oneness with his people. Now here in the law, he would speak with the high priest in the Holy of Holies and the high priest would come out and speak to the people. But as new covenant believers, never forget that the veil was torn from top to bottom. There's a new high priest in town and he resides in your heart if you let him. And this high priest desires to sup with you and be one with you. And have intimacy with you. Kind of like we studied on Sunday. Let there be no daylight between you and the Lord. No daylight whatsoever. Have that oneness with him. Become one with the Lord. And so here we're going to continue in our study in verse 23 of chapter 5. The Lord is telling Moses, you shall also make a table of acacia wood. A little side note about acacia wood. You know, a lot of the things in the temple are built with acacia wood. If you notice in verse 10, the ark is made with acacia wood. 
And then in verse 13, there are certain poles that are made with acacia wood. And here he's saying, make a table of acacia wood. And this table is going to be where the showbread sits. And you know, this acacia wood, I don't want to get overly spiritual about acacia wood, but you're going to see acacia wood and acacia trees all over the Bible, all over the Bible. And what I love so much about it is that you could see like in the middle of a desert, you could have one lonely tree, green. Everything could be like death and destruction, you know, rotting bones all over the place. And in the middle of the desert, you see one lonely tree that's green and lush and just beautiful. Brown wood, you know, it's not dying wood, brown wood, green leaves, right in the middle of a desert. You know why? Because the roots go super, 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 super deep into the ground. There's no water for anybody. Animals die, no waters for anything, except this one acacia tree. He gets his water from way down in the depths. It reminds me a lot about you and me. How you can have a lot of decay in culture around you. A lot of dryness and dry bones. But you know what? And it's sad. I'm not trying to say gloss over it and say it's no big deal. Because there is sorrow associated with that. But you know what? It's like, hey, our roots, they don't go deep into the soil. They go deep and high into the heavenly realm. That's why there's that, you know, you hear me say, I haven't said it in a while, but it's more like upside down trees. And our roots go into the heavenly place. And that's where we get our sustenance from. The holy word of God. And, you know, the fruit that grows on us, it's for all the world to see and taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what I think is so beautiful about this acacia wood that the Lord uses. He says, you shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half, a cubit and a half its height. Now, a cubit, you see like varying... Um, opinions about how big a cubit is i've seen as little as an inch and a half and i've seen as big as 20 inches and you know based on like uh um, how do i put this like uh hebrew scales like an old he hebrew measurement system it's about 17 17 and a half inches to 18 inches it's the distance from the elbow to the tip of the hand that's how they they would measure it. have you ever been like in a like you need a piece of wood for something and you know you sit and you're like in the door frame and you say okay it's about this distance and then you go like this and you're like okay it's about this distance you know from elbow to elbow with your fingers extended and then you go to home depot you know and you're like okay you're kind of measuring that's how it is it's like a cubit you know a cubit is like your elbow to the tip of your middle finger and so that's historically how it would be in uh when i say historically that's in accordance with uh hebrew history and so what happens here, you know, it says in verse 24, and you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. And I think this is so incredibly beautiful. If you remember our study last week, I made, I shouldn't say I made the correlation. We looked at scripture verses to understand how the plunder of Egypt. You remember? So take somebody's gold, for example, that was formerly in Egyptian hands. And the Egyptian says, here, you Hebrew people, take it. And so now this gold is in you know, Hebrew custody, so to speak. So it's now property of the Hebrew people, but you know, and then you know what they do with the portion of that gold in a couple more chapters, they fashion a calf. They may create a God in their, you know, you know, in their own image. It's idolatry. And then Moses, it gets destroyed and Moses tells them to drink of the bitterness of that water. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's what happens. But after the people repent and seek the face of the Lord again, they take the other portion, unused portion of that gold, and now they give it to the Lord. And I think about, you know, we looked at scripture verses last week about you and me as being the plunder of Egypt. Because what does the Lord do with you and me? How, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, 
30 years ago, some of you guys weren't around, but I met, you know, 20 years ago, you know, it's like 20 years ago, some other people weren't around either, you know, but 20 years ago, it's like, what were you doing that was for the purpose of Egypt? Being a vessel of Egypt, so to speak. And then the Lord takes you as his plunder. And now all of a sudden he's using you for his purpose. There's some major correlation here in the Old Testament. And this is the blueprints that the Lord is giving to Moses. And it's just Moses and God. You remember the, the elders, they eventually, what happens is they go back to the camp. And Moses at the top of the mountain, except right outside the cloud where Moses disappears into to be in the presence of the Lord, you have Joshua, his assistant. And he's the next in command to lead Israel. And we're going to see that when we get to the book of Joshua. And the whole time you start to realize, wow, the Lord is doing something. The Lord is at work. But as new covenant believers, there's different connotation. We're going to speak about that a little bit more today. And so when he says in verse 24, you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You know, you see this acacia wood and the Lord is telling him, hey, overlay it with pure gold. Just as he says in verse 10, you shall make an ark of acacia wood. But then in verse 11, he says, overlay it with pure gold. In verse 13, he says, take the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You start to see this acacia wood, something that's, you know, relatively drab. It's now made brighter and it shines. Does that ring a bell? If you open your eyes of faith, does that sound familiar? For the Lord to take something relatively drab out of the world and use it for his purpose. And eventually, in the Lord's time, what's going to happen? The glorification shining brightly when we put on our robes of righteousness. So, carnal people can't accept these words that I'm speaking today. Carnal people cannot accept these. They do not understand these things. But the Lord didn't call me to say, hey, Jay, speak to dead people. He called me to speak to the living. That's what I love about Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, the Lord says to uh, uh, Ezekiel, Hey, Ezekiel, you know, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, I don't know, Lord. You know. And then the Lord tells him, Hey, speak to these dead bones. And in obedience, he says, Okay. And what was once dead at the voice of the Lord is now alive. Carnal people can't accept these things. Only the living. Just like, you know, when the Lord calls out to Lazarus. Somebody who's been dead, you know, the people are like, oh, he's, he stinks by now. His body is rotting. It's going to be nasty. And yet he cries out, Lazarus. And what happens? All of a sudden, Lazarus comes walking out. The dead made alive at the voice of the Lord. That's the power of the word of God. That's the power that we're going to read about in the book of Acts. Not some fake trick. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you see now in verse 25, he says, you shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth. It's like the width of a palm now. I love these Old Testament measurement systems because it's like, you know, you measure it like this and you use your hand, you make it. And, you know, it's uh, this frame or this border around it, which is like the width of a palm. He says, you shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. Remember, don't forget, this is all the plunder of Egypt. If you hit the rewind button from, from Moses, at this particular point, you hit the rewind button and you go to the early passages of, of Exodus. When Moses doesn't even know the Lord. And yet the Lord is telling him, hey, you're going to take the plunder of, of Egypt. And then now you see, you know. That's why we know we kind of talked about that last week. 
What a difference a year makes. What a difference a year makes. Because the, in the span of time, in Moses' sake right here in his life, it was about a year ago when he's standing at the burning bush. A year ago. And that's what's so powerful about when the Lord takes a life. Because there could be somebody walking who's like, you know, walking on his or her way to hell. The same way I was walking on my way to hell. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, the voice of the Lord cries out, you know, like in Isaiah 66, I called, but no one answered. All you got to do is pick up the phone. The Lord is always there. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if you hear me, I will come in and sup with you. The clarion call of God. Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. And so what happens here in verse 27, the ring shall be close to the frame as holders for, for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and, and overlay them with gold. See, here you have wood overlaid with gold. Something drab and then all of a sudden something made shiny and bright. As new covenant believers, you see how these Old Testament things are a shadow of the things to come. He says, you know, you do these things, you, you make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the showbread. The showbread translates as uh, as the uh, um, um, uh, the uh, the bread of the presence, the bread of presence, you know, like the presence of the Lord. And what's so interesting, there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that this is unleavened bread, which means that it's like bread, you know, like you you have you go to the grocery store and you see like a loaf of bread, it's it's, it's bread like with the softness. There's nothing that indicates in the Bible that is it is unleavened bread. But when you get into Leviticus, which we're going to get to eventually, Leviticus 24, verse 7, it speaks of the bread as being memorial bread, as an offering unto the Lord. And you know, this memorial bread, that it's very probable that it is, it has leaven in it. And as this memorial bread, I'll tell you what I think. I can't corroborate this with, whole, with scripture. I can't. But for me, I'll tell you what it does for me in my heart. Whenever you, not that you make a point to reflect on your old nature, but there's going to be times in your life where Satan will like throw this in your face. You know, you think God can use you here. Look at what you did over here. You think God wants you to teach? Look at what you did when you were a younger guy or a younger lady. He'll throw these things in your face. And you know, it's very easy to feel down and very easy to feel like, oh man, you know, you're right. You know, I'm just a piece of garbage. But rather than get into that mindset, remember the grace and mercy of the Lord. Yes, yeah, so what? This was the work of my hands. This was the work of my feet. But then God came into my life. God came into your life. You know, there's going to be a period of time where you have to reap what you have sown. But have you ever talked with somebody who's just so down and out in the pits like they're immobilized? And it's one thing, you know, it's very important to acknowledge sin. And say, you know, wow, I have sinned. Not to, I'm not trying to gloss over sin at all. I'm trying to say, hey, acknowledge the sin. But you acknowledge the sin not with more sin. Some people feel down and out and get more drunk. Some people feel down and out and do more drugs. You know, acknowledge the sin and say, Lord, forgive me. I repent before you. And then go and sin no more. That's right. You know, I, it kind of trips me out because it's like, you know, remember people are like, you know, Jesus was the friend of, you know, all these people, you know, the adulteress and, you know, all these people, the tax collectors and all these. It's true. He was. And he would cleanse them. 
But then he would always say, go and sin no more. It's not an excuse. It's not licensure for sin and the carnal nature. It's to say, hey, no, change. Move forward. Get up. Dust yourself off. And if you can't get up here, the body of Christ will help. I'll help you up, brother. I'll help you up, sister. Hey, you know, let's dust ourselves off. Satan will get nasty. He'll throw it in your face. Do you remember what you did over here? Do you remember what you said over here? And he'll try to immobilize you. But so what? The accuser of the brethren is his name. Beelzebub, Lucifer, the accuser of the brethren. But God's grace, God's love, his mercy. That's what I think about when I think about verse 30 and the showbread as, you know, as a memorial bread, as is, is written in Leviticus 24, verse 7. That's me personally, what I think about. In verse 31, he says this. He says, you shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. So what's happening here in chapter 25, 26, 27, until we get to the early 30s. He, God is giving Moses blueprints of the tabernacle and the means by which uh, uh, sanctification can happen, the breastplate, the high priest garments, and you know, the consecration of the priest, the offerings, the means by which atonement can happen for this great fall that's about to happen. And I'm speaking about the golden calf. And not just this great fall, but the fall that's going to happen throughout all these generations. This is the very beginning, the very inception of this law. And, you know, I'm not trying to gloss over the events of the golden calf. I'm not trying to gloss over it like it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. But even still, the Lord made a way. The Lord made a way. Moses comes down from the mountain. He just spent all this time with the Lord. The people thought he was dead. He was 40 days and 40 nights in the mountain. And then all of a sudden he comes down. The Lord tells him, hey, Moses, you better go down to your people. And the Lord refers to him. He doesn't say, this is my people. Or he says, Moses, go down to your people. Those are heavy words. Moses gets down and sees the golden calf. What in the world is happening here? And then he says, hey, everybody who's with God, you come over here and stand next to me. That was like the very last opportunity. The very last opportunity to say, hey, I'm with Moses. You know what? This golden calf thing, I'm not down with that. I'm with Moses. That was the last opportunity because the Lord says to Moses, okay, now lay them waste. It's judgment. Judgment. Me personally, I believe we're at the very precipice of like some very dark times. If not, it's they've already started. That's me personally. That's what I believe. And I, I could explain myself to say this is why. Very dangerous days that we're living in. And yet even still prior to judgment, there's always grace and mercy and the love of the Lord. You know why? Because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And the Lord is giving Moses these blueprints. What about the blueprints that the Lord gives to you and to me today, right now? What about the blueprints that the Lord is giving us from Genesis to Revelation, knowing what the Word of God teaches that... Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse uh, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's my question to everybody here today. 
to everybody who's here, who hears my words today. What about the blueprints that the Lord has before us in this book, capital B? Remember, the word became flesh in your personal oneness with the Lord, in your personal in, uh, 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 intimacy that you have with the Lord. What about these blueprints? And then the Lord speaks to your heart in your heart of hearts and says, okay, now I want you to go back to the people and say these things, teach them. Tell them that I love them. Tell them that I'm coming again. Warn them. Tell them that I'm madly in love with them, but I can't stand their sin. Tell them to repent. Are you going to be a man pleaser or are you going to be a God pleaser? Because a man pleaser will say, oh, you know what? I have no problem with your meth addiction. Oh, what's that? You're a homosexual? I have no problem. No big deal. What's this? You're cheating on your wife? You're cheating on your husband? Eh, no big deal. God is love. What about the word of God at the end of Romans 1 says those who are accepting of these sinful behaviors. They're included in the judgment of the Lord. That's what a man pleaser says. Oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But somebody who is pleasing the Lord will say, you know what? I love you so much. And God loves you so much. But you need to repent. You need to repent. This behavior is not right before the Lord. Your crack pipe, it's not right before the Lord. Your porn addiction, it's not right before the Lord. Your alcoholism, oh, you just want to take a little edge off and, you know, mix your drinks late at night. It's not right before the Lord. Repent. Take those bottles and pour them in the sink. Take that crack, throw it in the toilet and flush it. Get rid of it. All of it. And you see, this is how the Lord works. He desires a holy people. You say, what do you mean a holy people? How can we be holy? You know, I'm just the messenger. That's it. Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. God is giving Moses these blueprints, which are mere copies of the heavenly realm. That's all it is. I'm not trying to say that what's happening here is not holy. What I am saying is how much more the heavenly, the original. Because what the Lord is giving here in these blueprints is a copy for the heavenly realm. And so here he's speaking about the lampstand of pure gold. In verse 31, but there's something incredibly powerful when you consider, if you remember way back in our study, and I'm going to stir the, the cup a little bit. If you remember way back in our study in Zechariah, many, many moons ago, Zechariah chapter four, and Zechariah is having a vision of two olive trees. And the angel says of these two olive trees that they are two anointed ones, sons of fresh oil. And it is revealed later on down the road, many moons into the future from Zechariah 4 in Revelation chapter 11, verse 4, that the two witnesses are the olive trees. And the two witnesses are also lampstands before the Lord. That's why, you know, when last week you might, if you heard last week's, last week's uh, uh, message, you might think like, what in the world is Jay talking about? I don't get it. What is he talking about? Does he mean to say that me, that I am part of the temple worship? Yes. That's precisely what I was attempting to teach. The problem is this stupid world. That's the problem. We have our jobs, you know, we have our houses, we have our 
cars, we have our whatever, you know, we have our TV programs, we have our Netflix, we have our Xfinity, all these things, our phones, we have all these stupid things of the world that take our focus away from this fact that the Lord is at work in these temples, in your temple. One day, we're going to shed off these earth suits. One day. And we're going to shine brightly. We're going to be like the angels. And we're going to be in the throne room of the Lord. With multitudes of people. Of every tongue, tribe, creed, language. And worship and adoration of our Lord. One day. But this stupid world and everything that's in it pulls our attention away. And Satan knows exactly how to take my attention away from the Lord. He knows exactly how to take your attention away from the Lord. And that's what he'll do. He'll dangle that carrot right in front of you. Why are you going to spend time in the Bible? Look at this new Netflix movie out. Why are you going to spend time in the Bible? Look, this new... Uh, song, whatever, you can go dance, you can go party, you can do all these things. Or look at this crack. It's the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. The best crack out there. And he'll dangle these things to take our eyes off of this fact that we don't even belong here. We're not of this world. You know, if you hit the fast forward button from today, right now, November whatever, 2019. And you hit the fast forward button right now and you go into the future 1 million, 1 million years. 1 million years. You're going to see Paul in his glorified body. You're going to see Peter in his glorified body. You're going to see a multitude of people in their glorified bodies. But what about you and me? We don't... We don't think like this. A lot of people don't think like this. A lot of pastors don't teach like this. That's why I, I get in a lot of trouble sometimes. Because I, it sounds like I speak. How do I say that? That I speak somewhat demeaning of the rapture of the church. And I don't intend to. But the way I see it, it's like. Imagine a child, a 10-year-old child who says, you know what? One day I'm going to be a brain surgeon. I'm going to be operating on brains. But man, I hope I, may, I, hope I graduate high school. It's, it sounds kind of weird to hear that. Because you might have a straight-A student who is, you know, does everything di diligently and gets straight-A's and is academic, academically blessed. But yet his or her worry is graduating high school. And that's how I feel about the rapture. And I get a lot of heat for it. You know, a lot of people are like, man, I want to make the rapture. I want to make the rapture, which is good. It's not a bad thing. I want to make the rapture too. But it's like, wait a second. You know, don't forget that there's going to be a thousand years. We'll have our glorified bodies then. But then after the thousand years, Satan is going to be released again. And there's going to be great deception again. And yes, it's at that time he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. And then it's done. And then there's a new Jerusalem. And it's like, that's why I feel kind of weird about the rapture. What about the presence of the Lord? And being in the presence of the Lord. And what about the presence of the Lord right now? You got all this stuff in life all this drama in life all these things that can take our attention away hey check this out hey check this out or it's like you know this drama it's like our focus comes off of these pages and onto whatever that's how satan works and you know don't forget we're gonna be in these glorified bodies one day it requires faith to understand these things. It requires faith to even receive these things.
that one day we're going to shed ourselves, rid ourselves of these dumb earth suits. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time, and it's just a matter of obedience unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because Paul is the one who says, hey, I don't count myself to have attained already. Old Paul, not young Paul, old Paul. I don't count myself to have attained already, but I press forward. He even speaks about his own disqualification. He says, no, lest I be disqualified. You know what? I'm gunning it. I'm on my way to Zion. That's why you hear me say from time to time, be very selfish with your faith. Be very, very selfish with your faith. Because it's only you that's going to stand before the Lord. No one's going to be there. Wife, husband, kids, parents, no one's going to be there except for you. And what is the Lord going to, what are you going to hear the Lord say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I'm not, I think of those two phrases and it scares the daylights out of me. That's not to say that we have to walk on eggshells. But it's to say, hey, count the cost. Count the cost. And I used to be bummed out. Like, wow, you know, I'm going to follow the Lord. I can't party anymore. I can't get drunk anymore. I can't go hang out with these guys anymore. There's a lot of things I can't do. And I used to be bummed out about it. But I started to walk with the Lord even more and more and more. And whatever the Lord takes away, he'll replace it with something beautiful. And it's like, wow, I don't even, like, I feel kind of bad. Like, why did I even, like, why was I even worried about that? But that's what happens with maturity and growing in Christ. So the Lord is giving these blueprints to Moses. He speaks about the lampstand. Remember, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. You know, it points to Jesus Christ. And even from, you know, our study in the book of Matthew, the Gospels, and even it points to Jesus Christ, except in the heavenly realm. In the heavenly realm. Remember when the people were like, Lord, how do we pray? Jesus, how do we pray? You know, he says, Father, you know, hallowed be thy name. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All these things are a shadow of the things to come. Oneness with the Lord. Tabernacle in the Old Testament is a noun. But as in the New Covenant, according in accordance with the New Covenant, it's a verb. Oneness with the Lord. He desires that with you and with me. He says this in verse 32. He says, and six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. The Lord is pretty specific in, in these, you know, how he describes this. You know what I love so much about Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28, and up to um, 31? What I love so much about this is that we get to hear what's happening with the Lord and Moses. We get to witness. It's almost as if, you know, Moses is all by himself. He goes up into the clouds and disappears with the Lord. And we get a little glimpse with our eyes of faith. We get a little glimpse of what the Lord is telling Moses. Do you remember a couple... In uh, Exodus 6, or Genesis 6, how Noah was found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in verse 9 says, this is the, the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And you know, there's a problem here in the generation of Noah. This is the problem. 
in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was the problem. It was, you know, the Lord created mankind. Except he sees the heart of man. And the heart of man was every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah walked with the Lord. And so the Lord tells Noah, he says, Noah, the end of all flesh, in verse 13, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then he says, make yourself an ark. And he starts to give him the blueprints for the ark. Now, we only have a couple verses, several verses of these blueprints. I'm sure there was more. But the Lord starts to give these blueprints to very special people who walk with the Lord. Who feared the Lord, who loved the Lord. Beautiful Noah. That's right. I said, what about the blueprints that the Lord sets before us today? Genesis to Revelation. In the course of time, what is the work of the Lord doing in your heart, in your mind? Why? It's like, you know what? I don't even crave after alcohol anymore. I don't even crave after meth anymore. I don't even crave the crack pipe. I don't even crave the party lifestyle. You know why? Because you're changed. You're transformed by renewing of your minds. And the word of God rings true in your life. Because you've applied them in your life. This is the case for all who walk with the Lord. It's beautiful. Here in these passages in Exodus, several chapters that we have, we're seeing this intimacy that Moses has with the Lord. And I think it's so beautiful that he gives us this glimpse of what happens in this cloud on the top of the mountain. And so he continues in Exodus 25, verse 36. He says, their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. Imagine the skill it must take to fashion this lampstand if it all can be one piece. I mean, it takes skill to build a lampstand, number one, because you could take a piece of gold and, you know, put it in here and, you know, whatever. I don't know what they do. But, you know, you take a piece of gold and, like, fix it over here. Take another piece of gold and screw it or weld it. But the Lord is saying, no, don't do that. Make it of one piece. Hammered. That takes incredible skill. And you're going to see in the next couple chapters the artisans that the Lord uses. Because remember, he says, uh, uh, you know, in verse 2, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. In verse 8, he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So it's all the people coming together to say, hey, let's partake in this making of the tabernacle and the sanctuary. Moses has certain blueprints to say, okay, the people are going to build this, but Moses, you need to build this. Everybody has a role to play. And it reminds me of the bride of Christ, one body with many parts. One body with many parts. We're going to see that so hardcore in the book of Acts. I can't wait. Because we're going to see th some things that fly in the face of, of doctrines of men. How people say, oh, you know, you're a Christian, you should do this. You're a believer, you should do this. But no, you're going to see the book of Acts and people yielding to the, the lordship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. And so here, imagine the skill it takes to hammer one piece. All of it hammered one piece of pure gold. The skill in fashioning this item. And it reminds me of the skill in the body of Christ today. Using skill in service of the Lord, willingly from the heart. You know, you see all these people who have like beautiful voices, 
beautiful, beautiful voices and they sing and it brings tears to your eyes. It's like, wow, what a beautiful song. Singing unto the Lord and worship unto the Lord. And then like a couple years pass and it's like, you know, I haven't heard of this singer before, you know. I haven't heard of, you know, what's happening with the singer. So, you you know, you type in on Google, what, what happened to this singer? And then you find out they're in the world. Singing song unto Satan in the world. You know, a lady who's been, who was formerly singing on stage, you know, before uh, the people of God. And now here she is, you know, dressed with no clothes practically. You know, living it up and singing about the party lifestyle. And it's like, whoa, you know, that skill that was once in service of the Lord and now it's in service of Satan. And I'm not, you know, to each his own, you know. It's sad. It breaks my heart. But everybody is responsible for their own vessel. Everybody is responsible for their own vessel. And it's sad. I'm not trying to say like, you know, I'm not trying to gloss over it like, you know, oh, you know, it's. It is what it is, you know. I'm not trying to come up and say it like that. People make their choice. Don't ever, ever, ever forget Satan is a fisherman too. So many people, you know, they, they, you know, they hear the Great Commission. They're encouraged in the Great Commission, which isn't a bad thing. But don't forget, prior to the Great Commission, it's like, hey, you know, you walk with the Lord. You are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you stand firmly on the truth of God's word. Otherwise, it's just a social gospel. It's just a sales pitch. Making converts. And nowhere in the Bible will you hear the Lord exhorting anyone to say, hey, make converts. He says, make disciples. Students. People who hear the word of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then from there, you know, the Lord does a work inside somebody. Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to sing unto the Lord. I want to worship the Lord with the skill he's giving me with my voice. I want to worship the Lord with the skill he's giving me to, you know, play the guitar. Or the Lord has given me this skill in whatever and it's so beautiful. It doesn't just happen here in Exodus. It happens in uh, when the temple is when uh, in Nehemiah. You know when Nehemiah is before the king, and the king is like Nehemiah, why are you sad? And Nehemiah is like, well, my people. You know, here we are. We're my my people. We're, we don't have a home anymore. We're not in Israel anymore. And the king, by God's grace, says, you know what? Go back. And they start to build the temple. They start to build the outskirts around the temple. When you read Ezra and Nehemiah in conjunction and you start to see, you know, they were they were receiving uh, 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 opposition from the outs from like neighboring cities. And so the Lord says, OK, continue to build your stuff, except, you know, you're going to have your hammer in one hand and then, you know, you're going to have a sword, too. And continue to build. And when the fight comes, you know what? Pick up the sword. It's time to fight. And I love that so much because it reminds me of the Christian you and me today. We worship the Lord. We praise the Lord. But we always have the sword of the Spirit with us. And when the enemy comes, it's like, boom. Hey, you know, put your face mask down and it's time to engage. It's not... The time of rest is when we're one with the Lord. That's the time of rest. The time of rest is not now. It's not today. You know, yeah, we have certain periods where we do have a time of rest in the sanctuary of the Lord. And I'm not speaking about a physical sanctuary. I'm talking about in the sanctuary of the Lord. When we have peace, when we have Goshen. But don't forget the fight is still there. The fight is still very real. And so he says this in verse 37. He says... And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of, of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Specific, specific blueprints. 
Now, there's also a pattern in accordance with the new covenant. In closing, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Beautiful, beautiful Paul. I'm so in love with Paul. You guys have no idea. I'm so in love with Paul. Oh, man. Okay. So Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says in verse 12, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. This is old Paul. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Notice the reciprocation of holding on. You know, we hold on to the Lord and you know, the Lord is holding on for you. You take a child, you know, through a busy parking lot. You know, you take Penny, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful princess Penny who wants to run like a deer through the parking lot. It's dangerous. You say, Penny, hold my hand. And she holds your hand. You say, Penny, hold my hand tightly. And you feel her hand squeeze you. She's holding you as tight as she can. Penny, don't let go. And she's holding you very, very tight. But you know what else? You're also holding on to her. Very tight. Not that you want to restrict her running. You want her safe. That's what the Lord does to you and to me. As much as we say, hey, hold on to Christ. Don't forget, he's holding on to you too. This is beautiful, beautiful old man Paul. He's saying, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. This is what I love so much about Paul. He just, you know, he's not, he names names. He says, you know what, this guy over here, don't follow him. This guy over here, his mouth must be stopped. He's like, like a hardcore warrior. And it's so powerful. And you know, when Satan comes and says, you know, he starts to say, hey, remember what you did when you were a younger guy? Remember your lifestyle when you were a younger lady? How do you think the Lord could use you now? It's like, you know what? I'm clean before the Lord. Before the Lord, the Lord took that sin and he threw it as far as the east is from the west. He threw it in the sea of forgetfulness. The accuser of the brethren, you say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and forget those things. That's what Paul says here. Remember, he was a major persecutor of the church. Imagine what the enemy whispered in his ear. When Paul is writing a letter, oh, my beloved, my beloved church. My beautiful, beautiful Christians, you know. Oh, Timothy, how much I love you. And Satan's right there in his ear. Do you remember what you did to Stephen? Do you remember how you watched him? Do you remember how you, you encouraged stones being thrown at him? you remember when you watched him die? Imagine the voices he heard from Satan. And here he is writing these beautiful love letters to the church. Fight, you guys. Fight. And here he is, an old man writing, Hey, I haven't, I, I, you know, I'm not perfected already, but I'm moving forward. He says in verse 13, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press, and this translates as like to stretch forward. To stretch forward, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. I love how you have complete and total reliance upon Jesus Christ. Where, you know, he's saying his peace. And he's like, you know what? God will reveal this to you. Might not be now, but eventually in his time, he'll reveal it to you. And then you'll know how much I love you. Then you'll know how much I'm walking with you into Zion. 
Remember, he says, as many as are mature. You know who doesn't want you to be mature? Satan. Satan. I mean, it sounds kind of stupid, but like, imagine if you were to get in a fight with like Mike Tyson. You're going to lose. I mean, he's a bruiser. But then imagine if you were going to get in a fight with like a three-year-old. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. No big deal. I mean, I don't. It's illegal, number one. You can't do that. But I meant in your mind's eye, it's it's so easy. You take a three-year-old and throw him, you know? Piece of cake. That's how Satan wants to treat you. He likes you as a little three-year-old because it's a piece of cake. He doesn't want the church. He doesn't want you or me to mature in Christ. Because it's like, whoa, okay, this guy's a bruiser. This gal, she's a bruiser. I don't want to mess with her. That's what we're going to see in the book of Acts. A bunch of bruisers for Christ. It sounds weird to say it like that, but I'm speaking metaphysically and spiritually. Warriors. And Paul is saying, nevertheless, in verse 16, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind, one body. One body, the same mind, the mind of Christ. That's what's, you know, I feel weird in saying this, but that's what's kind of cool about the last days. The last days is going to be like literal hell on earth. And it's going to be sad to see death and destruction large scale. You know, in all things rejoice, as the word teaches us. But people will be faced with some major forks in the road as they lean hardcore to their doctrines of men. And they start to realize through these difficult times that, you know, that are ahead of the church. What do I hold on to? You know, John MacArthur tells me I can, you know, take the mark of the beast and still go to Christ, still go to heaven. That's what John MacArthur says. Hasn't recanted that statement, hasn't repented of that statement. And it's like, wait a second, the Bible says otherwise. Don't take the mark of the beast. People are going to hold on to their doctrines. And then, you know, through these tumultuous times, they're going to have a choice to make. Do I let go of John MacArthur? Do I let go of Francis Chan? Do I let go of Benny Hinn? Do I let go of, you know, I forgot that lady's name, but on TBN. You know, do I let go of Joyce Meyer? Do I let go of Buddha? Do I let go of Mary? People are going to be rocks to the core. And Paul is writing here, hey, let us be of the same mind, the mind of Christ. He says in verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us at, for a pattern. Remember the pattern that we saw in Exodus 25? Well, in accordance with the new covenant. And we're going to see it in the book of Acts. You see how there's the, the disciples who are now apostles. Paul is included in that bunch. And then these people are going to go from town to town, witnessing and preaching the gospel and sharing the good news. Miracles are happening. But then you have posers. Posers who are faking the funk. And they're like, yeah, you know, we can perform the works of the Lord too. Watch this. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. And Paul is saying, hey, don't follow those posers. He's saying, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us as a pattern. So like, if you ever look for a new house and you drive through a neighborhood and all the houses are like cookie cutter, and it's like, man, you know, it looks like they just had a stamp, a mold, and they made every house by house by house. Everything's the same. And, you know, you have some new neighborhoods that are like that. Everything's exactly the same. And it's like, you know, you see that as, as new covenant believers, it's like, look at what you have as cookie cutters. 
You know, am I, am I following the example of this guy who's on TBN? Am I following the mold of Joyce Meyer? Am I following the mold of somebody who tells me it's okay to take the mark of the beast? Am I following the mold of somebody who tells me to pray to Mary? To rescue my loved ones in, in purgatory? Which is not even in the Bible? Or am I following the mold of Paul? All these people, men and women, godly people. How the Lord tells, you know, it's revealed. It's like these old women, you know, be with the young women and show them. Be, you, the old women are the mold. You take these old women, it's like you be the mold and help the next generation. Young wives and doing these things. You be the cookie cutter. You be the standard. You see how beautiful the safeguards that we have in place Look at the world today. It's a mess. Look at the condition of the church today. It's a mess. It's a social club. And I say it with all due respect to the Lord. Go up, Paul says here in verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often. He gives the church many warnings. Not just the church in Philippi. All the Galatia and Ephesus, he gives a lot of warnings to the church. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of Jesus Christ. He says whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, earthly things. You know, one time I was talking to a guy, an elder in the church, and he says, Jay, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's what he told me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Don't believe that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Be heavenly minded. Be heavenly minded. You know why? Because you're not of this earth. You do not belong here. You belong in heaven. You belong in Zion. He says in verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been so fed up with this dumb world that it just makes you look more, even more forward to Jesus Christ? You're so fed up, man. You read the news and it's like, man, you know, this guy molested this kid. And it's like, man, you know, there's these drugs all over the place. There's sexual sin over here. More drugs, more alcohol, all these things. Guys who think they're girls, girls who think they're guys. You go to the library, you have the transvestite story hour and you just want to check out a book for your kid. It's like, man, you see the condition of the world. It's like, I cannot wait for Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. It's like a little marker in your, in your heart. Like, I'm not even from here. This place is fading. That's what Paul is saying to the church here. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even even to subdue all things to himself. Praise be to the Lord. He'll take something from the plunder of Egypt, drab and whatever, maybe a little chubby, and he'll take you and like, man, mold you and shape you. And you know, you read his word and he's taking stuff out. He's taking that crack out and throwing it in the garbage. He's taking that pornography, throwing it in the garbage. He'll do more cleaning. He'll add more of his word and he's fashioning something. Beautiful, beautiful. You know what we have to do? Let him, let him yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's it. You say, man, it sounds so easy. That's grace. Beloved, that's grace. That's mercy. That's love. So we're going to end our study here.